Philippines. Just continuing on in Philippines. Chris, I heard Chris speak at 8, um, 8.30 this morning and uh, he did something that we haven't done at the 10.30 about Philippians. Paul's writing from prison. I don't know if you realize that. So he's writing from prison, probably in Rome, but it might not be. He could be in a Roman settlement somewhere, maybe on his way to Rome, but probably in Rome. And then he writes this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole Praetorian that to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. If you've done anything Latin and Roman, all that stuff, the Praetorian Guard, the, the, the special shock troops that are there to guard the emperor or the emperor's representative in a place. So that's the palace guard. So, you know, we think of those sorts of things and it's a bit more prosaic and a bit more symbolic. This, this ain't that. This is, these are you know, hard-nosed battle-worn troops, absolutely loyal, absolutely loyal to the emperor. It's become clear to them I am in chains for Christ. Keep going. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. We'll come to that verse in a minute. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Now, that's one of those verses you go, what? what? Who would preach Christ out of envy? We'll come to that in a minute. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Making a bit more sense now. You travel in Africa for a while, you realize a lot of people do preach Christ in order to earn. Not just Africa. We won't say where else, but we'll let you make the connections. Not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Again, that's a bit weird. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Title for this morning is In All Circumstances. In All Circumstances. And again, I'm going to use Chris's, Chris is on fire at the moment. Please take every opportunity to hear him. He really is. Paul's in prison. Okay? His present reality is constricted. Chris suggested that, that Paul is, he relates to Paul a lot. Because Paul's one of these people that seems to do 300 things before lunchtime. Chris manages to do 300 things before breakfast. Um, he texted me this week at half past five in the morning, saying, I hope you're not reading this. Sadly, I was because I hadn't slept. You'll find out about that sometime. Can you imagine, if you're one of the activist people 
who loves walking and out and doing, blah, 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 and you're in prison. It's horrible. If you're not an activist person, you might go, oh, chance for arrest. But again, prison is very different. It's very different to what we understand prison to be. They wouldn't have been fed, probably. Paul might have done because he's a Roman citizen, but there would have been a lot of squalor around. There would have been filth, and it's it, not a pleasant place to be. And he's in prison. What does he say the last thing? I rejoice. So his present reality is constrained. His future, his future is not sure. He's been arrested. What's going to happen? Is he going to be released? Now, he was arrested several times. But the last time, he wasn't released. Well, he was. You know how he was released? He was released into glory. He was killed. He was killed. So, his present reality is constrained. His future is uncertain. The future is uncertain and his present reality is constrained. And yet he writes this. Can we go back to verse 12? We're going to go through bit by bit. I want you to know that what's happened to me has served and advanced the gospel. We hit bad times, experiences. Let's give you two or three examples. I wasn't a Christian at the time. I didn't get the A-level results I wanted. Just didn't get the A-level results. I was supposed to be going to university in London with the A-levels that I was projected to get. I was supposed to go to the LSE. And blah, blah, blah. I wanted to go to Manchester instead. I get, now, part of me was quite pleased because it meant at least I was 200 miles away from home. Um, <clears throat> did I say that out loud? If your kids are that age, remember, they're trying to get as far away from you as possible. And it's not a wrong thing to do. Moving to Sheffield wasn't a wrong thing to do, was it? It was a great thing to do, yeah. Actually, in the circumstances, moving to Manchester meant I found faith and a wife. But I'd failed. And in my failure, God's plan was different. Now, I think if I'd got the grades, I don't think it necessarily was God's plan I didn't get the grades. It was my lack of revision. You know, but as ever, for me, what I got was good enough. My... I used to, oh, having been a school teacher, I used to wind my teachers up. Because I used to go, you've got these grades. If you did any work at all, you'd be getting even better grades. I think they were more cross with me than they were with the, the guys that struggled, you know. God took the circumstances that I actually thought were negative and bad and brought amazingly good things. Well, the first thing he brought was faith. That sort of happened before I got there, but... I think if I'd been in London and living at home and travelling in and out, the faith would, wouldn't have happened the way it did. 
God took the circumstances. The curacy that we had. I've been ordained 25 years on the first Saturday in July. That's not bad. I've survived. Sorry, I've flourished in ministry. Sometimes it feels like survived. But the curacy, Wendy, talk to Wendy, we won't go into detail on the rest of it, but it was horrible. We were bullied. It was nasty. But boy, did we learn lessons from it. Boy, did we learn lessons from it. The first time I had a freedom prayer appointment, I was full of anger and full of stuff to do with the way I'd been treated. So the first freedom prayer appointment I had dealt with my issues. Not what had been done to me, but my issues. Which made me even more cross to start with. Don't worry, Kerry, it wasn't you. It was you a couple of days later. That's fine. But God used that curacy. And actually, it got to the point where you go, I don't want to repeat that. I don't want anybody to have to go through that. But thank you, Lord, for what I learned through that. Thank you for what you showed me and where you took me and us through that. What about a 32-ton lorry going through the middle of your church? Some of you know that story. That happened to us in Dorset. Not a good thing to happen. But actually the church transformed after that. Utterly transformed. When we went back into a 13th century building and had one service. Anyway, sound familiar? Was it God's plan the 32-ton lorry took out our second building? I don't think so. Did he use it? Absolutely. I want you to know that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. I want you to know. God works for the good of those who love him. God works for everybody's good. That's sadly how most people hear that verse. God works for the good of everybody. Hang on. It's not up there. It's quoting from Paul in a different place. God works for those in all circumstances for those who love him. Who are willing to come to him. Who are willing to be obedient to him. Who are willing to show their love to him. How do we show our love? We worship. And he works for the good. Yet most of us, when the What's it hits the fan? We go, God, what are you doing? This isn't right. Don't we? Honestly? Well, many times over the three situations I've been through where I've just gone, what? And getting upset and angry. And that's normal human reaction. But if we're blaming God, we're not loving God, are we? It's all his fault. And he's got big shoulders. You can have a good shout at him. Just look at the Psalms. David does it so many times. God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, Jesus does that on the cross. You know, we, it, the shouting at God doesn't, but it's if we get stuck in the shouting at God. Shouting at God means we're communicating and hopefully eventually then it begins to transform into, okay, Lord, Jesus in Gethsemane. Dad, I don't fancy this. 
This is the Laurie Clough translation of that section. Dad, I don't fancy this. Can we do it another way? Dad, I'm not happy. Dad, this is you can you can hear the tightness, but not your will, not my will, but yours be done. Oh, here's the resolution. Here's the love. Here's the place. Going, okay, Dad, you're my dad. I know you want the best for me. I don't understand it. I can't see it. But look what's happened. As a result, it became clear throughout the palace guard to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. He's facing opposition for the gospel. He's facing opposition, he's in prison because he's seeking to advance the kingdom of God. Do you know what? Great. Hang on. Being in prison is great. Do you know what? If he's in prison because of the gospel, if he's in prison because he's preaching the gospel, if he's in prison because he's witnessing to the kingdom of God, if he's in prison because he's a Christian, fine. When we face opposition because of our faith and because of who we are in Christ and all that stuff we are sharing in his sufferings and that's okay the problem comes when we face problem and difficulty because of our sin and because of the enemy's hold in the world and his footholds in us and we go oh it's just God isn't it and God will be no it's not just God that's our sin that's the enemy. We need to do the repentance thing and we need to do the standing firm and doing the rebuking thing and all that stuff. If we're suffering for the gospel, bring it on. If we're suffering because of our sin or because of the enemy, no. The problem we've got is we've got to work out which one's which. And we need, to discern, we need discernment for that. Actually, as an eldership, as a leadership here, we, we've got into this thing of, of hearing God's voice and getting revelation quite a lot. Great. And people send us stuff and it's fabulous. What we need now is a great big dollop of discernment. Because we're getting it. I actually talked to the elders the other day and, and said, you know, what we, what we need to do, those of us that give the revelation, is stop trying to interpret it for the moment because I'm getting one piece of revelation and five interpretations, which is confusing. <laughs> what we need is the revelation. And you, you know what really annoys me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually say this. One thing that really annoys me about flipping prophets and people who give revelation, or that would be me as well then, is we go, I'm not going to give it to you till I understand it. Or somebody going... I've been holding on to this because I don't quite get it. It's like, oh, <laughs> stop it. Just give it. Just give it. Because actually we have had so many times where I've given a word to Marion and I don't know what it means. And she goes, oh, yeah, bang. Now, if I'd waited until I'd understood it, you'd never have got it. But as soon as I give it and she goes, yes, I get that. Yeah. So we need that discernment process. And that comes together. That comes, that's an us thing, not a them thing. Or a, you, or a me thing. That's us together. 
and we need to discern together. So are we in chains for Christ or are we locked up and not free? Sam, thank you for using Galatians at the beginning. You know, are we, and that, that whole breakthrough thing, that whole breakthrough thing, we're free. Now, now swim in it. Stop swimming around in little circles like you're still in a goldfish bowl. Swim in the fullness of the ocean that you've been released into. It's a bit scary. I know it is, but we're all going together. So that's fine. Are we facing opposition because of the enemy or because it's part of our journey? Do you know what it says in James? If you lack wisdom, ask for it. And wisdom is the accumulation of revelation. So, if you don't understand, ask. And if you can't hear what's going on, grab somebody else and ask together. And if we don't get it, we'll grab somebody else and we'll go on asking. Come on, those of you that are parents here, you don't mind your kids asking, do you? Sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is, I wish I could, but I can't. But God always gives good gifts to his children. And he hasn't got finite resources like us. Actually, we've got infinite. Anyway, we'll do that another time. Verse 14. This is God's perspective, isn't it? The discernment is God's perspective on what we're facing. What's our response? Verse 14. And because of my change, most of the brothers and sisters become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I'm sorry, one of our brothers has been locked up and now we're more confident and we uh, have less fear. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? Absolutely counterintuitive. But I think Paul is giving testimony to what God is doing so they, they are now, okay, even if it's prison, it's okay. Even if. We're seeing how amazing the gospel is. We're seeing what Jesus has done for us. And we're seeing it in Paul's life. And we're seeing the Praetorian Guard knowing, right, okay, we need to get on and do. But of course this is right at the beginning of Christian faith and the Christian movement. 2,000 plus years on, we're going, well, if it's hard, we don't want to know. It's only counterintuitive to us because we're not excited about the gospel. Again, I'll leave you to work that one out. That's not a judgment or a condemnation. It's just, I just think it's a fact. Most of the church is not excited about the gospel. Therefore, we go, let's stay away from the problem. If... Preaching the gospel is going to cause a problem, we'll keep it to ourselves. If I tell people about Jesus, I might lose my friends. Yeah, well, is Jesus worth more than your friends? Please, I'm not asking you to lose your friends, but I'm asking you to put Jesus first. So, our perspective should be our response to. God's perspective on these things is confidence. And we need to find that place to dare to proclaim 
And then look at this ridiculous reality. It's true some preach out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Paul has discernment here. Why am I looking up there? It's here. That's even better. Next verse. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Do we face situations where people are stirring up trouble for us? Do you ever get the feeling they're against because we're Christians? When we first put the planning in, our architect, who's not a Christian, when we had that first planning meeting in the parish centre, when we got shouted at several times, Paul, our architect, not Paul here, Paul, our architect, just said, no, it's not the plans they're against. It's you they don't like. Um, and what you stand for. And you're going, oh, hello. I think that's a prophetic word coming out of a non-Christian's mouth. That's the problem. It's not actually the design. The design's lovely. You know? Jenny didn't agree with everything, but the one thing she said at PCC, Katie will tell you, the one thing she said at PCC was, don't change that design. It's beautiful. It's not the design. It's not the place. It's not. It's what we stand for. That's the problem. The problem's in the heavenlies, not just at the planners. Notice I didn't say not at the planners. Not just at the planners. So, this is weird. This is weird. It's a ridiculous reality. And I think Paul is saying at the end, I don't understand it, because he says. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? But what does it matter? Do keep praying for the, for the parish centre redevelopment. Please keep praying. We've hit some stuff this week, which is... <laughs> technical phrase. It's horrible. Somebody hasn't done their job properly. Somebody, has, somebody else is being awkward. So, Oh, I was all for packing it all in on th Thursday, Friday, Friday, yesterday, Friday. I couldn't remember. It's just like, oh. took, but it's taking me a while. I won't say it took me. It's taking me a while to get to what does it matter? What does it matter? What is said? The lies that are around. What does it matter? What matters is Christ is preached. What matters is they see. And actually, we've had somebody from the local parish council come. We bumped into them on, on the road, walking. We were walking. They actually said, the way you've gone about this is beautiful. Because you haven't hit fire with fire. You haven't been horrible back. You've just gone, okay. Sometimes I'm going... I don't know. I'll just go up. But it's remember to doing doing that. You know, that's why I'm going to miss Chris because I can do that at Chris, and he just looks and nods and smiles, buys me another cup of coffee, and then I'm all right. Because you've got to go, you've got to get it out, but you don't want it out at the people, and I actually don't want it out at you lot either. 
got to come out. But then when you meet the people, you go, hi, how are you? Chris and I met somebody opposed to us on the street. We're walking along. Hi, how are you? How's it going? Hmm. It's just rude, isn't it? Is everything okay? <laughs> See ya. Bless you. <laughs> I've no idea what they said. But it was, it was a grumpy grumble. I won't say exactly what Chris said afterwards. <laughs> but we bless them when we see them. Does it matter? Does it matter? The important thing that Christ is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. What we need is a heavenly mindset. The attitude, our attitude, we're coming to this passage in a couple of weeks' time. Our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who didn't consider equality with his... I don't want to steal Chris's sermon that week. You have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ that said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The mind of Christ that submitted to the nails in the wrists and the ankles. The mind of Christ that drowned in his own body fluid. The mind of Christ that took our sin. It's a challenge, isn't it? You know I'm challenging first and foremost? Me. Okay? Is the church perfect? No. But our church is better. No. Oh, it's them. De no. Church is not perfect. And I am fed up and disgusted with the way Christians talk about church. Are the bishops doing a good job? No. Do all the processes work brilliantly? No. They work really badly. But this is the Church of Christ. Anglican, Baptist, Methodist, I don't care what denomination. Every, every time we speak out against the church, the enemy claps his hands and jumps on it and uses it to demoralize and depress and to push down those of us that are still committed to the church. Every time you go, it's too sunny out, I'm not going to church today, I'm going to go down to the beach. The enemy jumps on it and claps his hands and says, see, you want to know about this? Read screw tape. Yeah. If you don't know what screw tape is, talk to me. C.S. Lewis, screw tape matters. There are lots of churches where Christ is preached where I wouldn't go. Because I wouldn't be comfortable. It wouldn't work. But if Christ is being preached, I need to do what Paul does. And rejoice. In all circumstances, we need to learn to rejoice. There's an Old Testament word for worship, which means to be thankful and to have joy despite the outward circumstances. It's a difficult one, isn't it? 
Christ is on the inside. That's Johnny. Song went through my head at that point. Christ is on the inside. So I rejoice. This is what it says in Hebrews 13. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Actually, church, keep your lives free from the fear of not having enough. That is shot through us at the moment, and it's got to stop. Keep your lives free from the love or the fear of money, and be content with what you have. It will always be enough. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Do you believe that? This is what it says in Deuteronomy. Be strong and courageous. That's our call, isn't it? Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. This is about going through Zion and Og and all that stuff and overcoming the worldly things. The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, I will be with you until the end of the age. If you believe that you are born again and that the Spirit of Christ lives in you, I mean, Christ doesn't even just walk with you. He lives in you. We'll never... I can't, I can't remember who I'm quoting here. I think it might be Watchman Nee. We will never experience the presence of God until we realize we are possessed by God. He owns us. He's in us. And actually, the, therefore, the presence of God is here. Well, we've got to get into the presence of God. No, we haven't. The presence of God is here. What we've got to do is begin to intentionally experience that. I'm coming into land, don't panic. Christ has promised to never leave you. Christ has given us everything we need. Jesus is our focus and always will be. Do you know what? It doesn't matter what the local councillors say. It doesn't matter what the planners say. Sorry, I'm slightly gritted teeth here. <laughs> it doesn't matter what anybody who's left us says. It doesn't matter. All these things hurt. They really do. But what does it matter if Christ is preached? Keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. For he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. We sang a song, was it last Sunday night, where God hasn't let us down yet? That was some last Sunday morning, yeah. God hasn't let us down yet. I hate that word yet, and actually Johnny forgot to sing it, or chose not to sing it. A bit of both. Because if you think God hasn't let you down yet, you're expecting him to let you down. And I'll tell you what, he hasn't. Church might have let you down. People might have let you down. The enemy might be having a go. God has never let you down. And never will. Because he can't.
If he does, he is not God. Simple. It's not in his nature. Whatever you're facing, you need discernment. Whatever we're facing, we need discernment. But in the end, what does it matter? Because we need to rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. Hey, we're not going to sing that because I don't think he knows it. Rejoice, rejoice. Christ is in you. The hope of glory in our hearts.